I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Mr. Beacon Podcast is sponsored by Williot. Scaling IoT with battery-free Bluetooth. So welcome back to the Mr. Beacon podcast. Uh, this interview is about the convergence of fashion with technology, uh, the whole beacon technology thing that we obsess on in this little world of ours uh, is, is really a synonym for digital to physical convergence. And one of the areas that has fascinated uh, me is the way our clothing uh, is turning into a computer. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of other aspects of technology that have been involved in apparel for, for quite some time. So I'm really pleased to have Barry McGough joining us for, for this conversation. Barry is a, a veteran of the apparel business and I'll let him talk about his, his background in some uh, detail. But uh, PVH, who are famous for Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger and other brands, um, is uh, just one of the things on his amazing resume. So, Barry, thanks very much for spending a bit of time with us. Thanks, Steve. It's awesome to be here. Um, can you, uh, I, I want to, uh, towards uh, the, the latter part of our discussion, just talk a bit about your career, but before, and, and we'll start off by talking about this major theme, um, but tell us, just give us kind of a quick uh, whistle-stop tour of uh, uh, of your uh, your background, because you've worked for quite a few amazing brands. It would be good to hear about it in your words. Well, thanks. So, I mean, mostly people don't really like a, a resume review, so I, I wouldn't linger too hard on it with you today, this morning. But um, essentially, I did uh, cut my teeth. I, I always tell everybody I came into fashion through, uh, through punk rock. Uh, we were the first distributors of Dr. Martens in the US, and that was a lot of fun. And it really got me into making technical footwear. So in my journey, um, post-punk, I would say, um, I was um, heading product at the North Face, doing a lot of outdoor, starting with footwear, backpacks, um, sleeping bags, things that have high flow values that keep outdoor athletes alive. And then from there, moving into the technical athlete world for uh, competitive athletes at Speedo really looking at product apparel gear that make you go faster and lighter and train harder. So my, my background really started in footwear and then went into sort into athlete led uh, apparel and, and, and technical gear. Um, uh, in the speedo world, I was um, uh, as part of PBH, they asked me to start the innovation division 
at PBH, which is a $10 billion company, and really bringing innovation and innovative thinking and ideas into all the brands and classifications inside this globally complex organization. So that's Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, Bass, Izod, ton of amazing brands, and really looking at how to bring technical fiber, technical finish, internal innovation, open innovation in the areas of to make their brands become competitive. And what became really clear was, first of all, how do you demystify innovation, right? How do you turn it into something that's tangible and you can sell? And then, so that's the process part. And then what would you innovate? How does a company that has sportswear innovate? And it came clear that there's the obvious areas of making your whites whiter and your brights brighter, right? But the unobvious or the non-obvious ways are, how would you look at technology? And how does that change the, how is the consumer experience and consumer expectation changing as brands can increasingly have to become more consumer centric? And then what, ha and where would you engage? And that becomes this area of digital experience. So what happens on the AR, XR, MR side? And all your direct to consumer and, uh, and, and also B2B transactions, but also, what happens when apparel is connected to the Internet of Things? So these became really interesting areas for us to work on as we advanced and built these competitive edges. Lots to talk about there. I, I, um, it's funny because we think of uh, apparel companies as being very creative. I, I uh, met with you. It's the only time I've walked into a reception area that had a swimming pool built into the reception area. So we think of these brands as being very creative but what what is the challenge that they're facing what's uh, what's disrupting them so typically you, you know in brands that are transacting in a wholesale model the, the experience really has been as a supplier in a brand is that you sell to a customer so brands have typically been customer centric we would sell to Macy's and the Macy's has a buyer the Macy's buyer is speaks for the consumer mm -hmm. and we're transacting in this transactional experience we're transacting with the Macy's buyer Macy's yeah. buyer knows everything now I'm not picking on Macy's buyer X let's say but now and consumers expect for us to know them they don't really care that much about GDPR and privacy that's something that's coming up but End consumers are increasingly having an expectation of immediate gratification, customization, and personalization. And if we don't know them, they're actually frustrated with us as a brand. They say, why don't you know me? Everyone else knows me. Why don't you? So the need for consumer centricity is, be, is being consumer driven. And it's something that brands have to react to. No longer is it enough for brands to put out something and then hope someone finds it. It has to, there has to be an experience attached to it and it has to be a relationship. And that's, that's the transformational part of brand, uh, brand thinking now. So how can there be a relationship between a consumer and a, and a clothing brand? Certainly from a marketing perspective, um, and the data that comes in from all the transactions and also social media interactions, there's a tremendous opportunity to look at your MROI and figure out how to best connect with your target consumer, and they'll they'll talk back to you. You'll see those the, those transactions happening on the, on the social side. Um, from a brand perspective, 
when we're talking about people knowing you, then the then then end consumers are expecting that you know me or someone like me. You, you since you know my style and because I like you, then you can understand me back. So a great example would be hashtag Mike Calvin's. Hashtag Mike Calvin's is one of the most successful social media campaigns that just said, show us you in your Calvin's. And people would literally take a picture of themselves and the bodies that they were proud of mm-hmm. for having worked out, looking good, feeling good, and then feed that back to the brand. Mm-hmm. Millions of consumers would share their own personal selves with an anonymous brand. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a great example of a social media interaction where end consumers are having a one-to-one conversation with the brand. But when it comes to fit, there's an there's a increasing conversation on customization and personalization. So for instance, I saw Tony Bakos, who's the chief uh, 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 technology officer at Amazon, speak at South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. And he was very bold to talk about how Amazon is making a strong play for customization and personalization in two areas. One, it's what happens when you're on their site, when you're shopping. And how do they know that it's you and not your your kids shopping for mm-hmm. toys or, mm-hmm. or 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 other kinds of garments? How do you know that you want something that's that's appropriate for you? Mm-hmm. So they want to know who's online so they can have a one-to-one relationship with you online no matter who's on the account. But the other thing they're talking about is customization and personalization in fit. As they're going into the apparel space and they're looking at basics, dress shirts, underwear, batteries, for instance, they want also want to know how does this, how does, will this fit your own personal body, and will you be satisfied with the T-shirt that Amazon sells you or the dress shirt that Amazon sells you? And that gets into a whole area of personalization and fit. What they did recently to move this forward is they bought a company called Body Labs, mm-hmm. and Body Labs had a, a, a algo algorithm-based um, product that they would could use your cell phone, get multiple points of, of of differentiation, and be able to have a relatively accurate image of your own body wearing loose-fitting clothes. Mm-hmm. A couple quick selfies, and we know who you are. Mm-hmm. We don't know your face, but we do know your body type, and so. The idea is if you use this Body Labs application, take a picture of yourself and then order a t-shirt that Amazon says will should fit your body type, then you're going to be 100% satisfied with that t-shirt that you get from them. Mm-hmm. Now they know you, you know them, you have a relationship and you can rely on that. You're not going to buy five and keep one. And send right. Four. That totally makes sense for them. So. How is this huge disruption of uh, online shopping, is that impacting brands in any way? The move from going to Macy's to buy your clothes to going to Amazon, how, how would that impact the major uh, brands, if at all? From a, from a retail transaction point of view, the penetration in the apparel industry for, for direct-to-consumer sales for online is only about 10%. Mm-hmm. It's growing and it's forecast to go into the teens really quickly. So the, the the conundrum right now for brands is that they're still transacting at an 85, 90% rate in brick and mortar. Okay. Or 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 in some B2B fashion. Mm-hmm. So we know that it's disruptive, but brands are, are have to increasingly look at how what what is their digital experience 
in brick and mortar? And then what is their, what is their digital experience direct to consumer? And they're very different. Mm -hmm. So on the brick and mortar side, where technology is starting to drive is in the in-store experience. So for example, one of the activations that w that we recently did, and you're going to start to see more and more of this, is using your phone to have an augmented or mixed reality experience. Mm -hmm. If you can, t and especially because with with Amazon st starting to do right now with web-based AR, you don't need a marker or to go onto a website rather to get to get an app to launch an uh, augmented reality experience. You take your phone, you hit a marker of some kind, a QR code or something, and then a, 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 an, an augmented reality or 3D experience will come up on your phone. Mm -hmm. That will give you an experience with the brand. It could communicate things like fit. It could communicate technology. Because honestly, who has time to read five or six hang tags on a jacket anymore? Mm -hmm. If you could just take your phone, point your phone at a jacket, and it tells you how waterproof it is or how dry it'll keep you or why it fits your own human snowflake body, mm -hmm. you're going to have a great experience with the brand and you're going to be a lot more willing to do that. So you're going to start to see a lot more augmented and mixed reality experiences in, in, the, in, the, in the, the brick and mortar space. And that's how technology will start to drive the experience and that know me feel. Right. So this is interesting. This is interesting. So obviously, uh, I come at this from the, the, the beacon angle. And there's always this um, uh, competition between the Bluetooth beacon, the radio connectivity with uh, maybe it's using uh, UHF RFID tags, uh, and uh, using QR codes. Uh, and maybe and maybe now with uh, um, machine vision, maybe you don't even need a QR code. Maybe you just have the, uh, the phone recognize the item of apparel. Where, where do you think, uh, I mean, do you, do you have a view on that, where the boundaries are between what technology is useful, the pros and cons of using those technologies? I guess really self-serving, is there a future for, for beacons in apparel? Uh, so, I mean, I'm, I'm biased to the opinion that there definitely is. I do feel that there's an arms race, and that arms race is really gonna be around efficacy. What's the efficacy of use for the end consumer that is seamless and easy for them to use? And so when we talk about, I think what we'll probably talk about also today is, is these ideas of apparel connected to the IoT, mm -hmm. you're always gonna have the issue of power generation and power storage. Mm -hmm. So. And, and, and you also have to compound that with the cost per unit because apparel is quite cost price sensitive, especially when you're talking about commodities, mm -hmm. let's say underwear, let's say. So if we're looking at ubiquitous technologies that are seamless to use, then everyone will use them. That's mm -hmm. incumbent on us to be able to connect those dots and create an easy glide path for the end consumer to be able to use these beacon technologies. So beacons as they exist right now in sort of classic retail are considered a little bit invasive and a little bit impersonal. Mm -hmm. So the idea of using RFID or Bluetooth is, a, is becomes more personal and more seamless. And mm -hmm. that is a very, very compelling, especially because if, if you can activate it on your phone, then you also get something that's seamless because people are carrying it around every single day. They already have a device. Yeah. 
So being able to use that is going to be super important. And, and, and there is an arms race right now. NFC, QR codes, Bluetooth, beacons, RFID. There's a number of technologies that, that look promising to be able to have that end consumer experience. So it, again, I, I do feel it's up to us to, to make and create an easy glide path. But uh, when it's there, they will do it. You build it and they will come. Yeah, it seems like the, the technologies that have made the most headway are RFID and QR codes because QR codes are essentially free. Um, but I know that if I look at the RFID industry, you know, the traditional, you have the big $2,000 scanner or whatever it is that's uh, zapping through and scanning large amounts of inventory. That's It seems like they're selling billions of, uh, if, if not hundreds of billions of uh, RFID tags. Is that, I mean, w- would you agree that those are the leaders? What, what, what's RFID being used for today? And, and where do you see QR codes versus RFID? So, so I, I have a kind of a unique perspective on, on QR codes because I was recently in, uh, in China and there's a, a super amazing YouTube video by the New York Times called How China is Changing Your Internet. And I would definitely recommend people watch it. It's a great primer on the idea of super apps and how these super apps aggregate data, data and consumer experience because you transact in the app. You never leave the app. Mm-hmm. So we have separate apps for Uber or Lyft or Facebook or Yelp, and it's all in one app. So, so the, the super apps know what you're doing, and they know when you're shopping, when you're not shopping. And so much of that experience in China is powered by the QR code. QR codes are ubiquitous. They're on every item. They're on every bus shelter. They're on, you know, every – people expect to speak that QR code language. And I think in the West we're not there yet, but it's so seamless – and we're going to start to pull so much from the success of the Chinese digital experience that I, I do very strongly believe that we're going to start to see a lot more QR code integration in Western markets. Um, when it comes to um, RFID, I feel that it's a little bit different with RFID in as much as um, the, the readers are not in your phone. So it's going to be less um, – it's going to be less – driven by uh, one-to-one consumer experience, but from a, from a B2B experience, we're starting to see RFID moving out of the supply chain and having a lot of, um, a lot of use in store. Mm-hmm. So that would mean a, a magic mirror. You walk into a, a dressing room, it recognizes the garment you have, a picture comes up on the mirror and says you have this garment in a size medium, and it doesn't fit you, you can push a button and have someone bring you a size large. You can also start to do cross-selling. Hey, that t-shirt goes really great with this jacket. Have you tried this? Hey, it's cold outside, do you want a scarf? Mm-hmm. So you can cross-selling inside a dressing room. You could also have mobile checkout, mobile pay, security in store, right? So you can, you can also start to look at the, uh, and solve some of the problems of shrink. Um, you can increase your, your basket size and transaction. You can look at real-time inventory location and accuracy so that associate knows where everything is. And then after point of sale, you can start to use RFID as anti-counterfeit devices. So you can, you can replace costly anti-counterfeit devices, which are really important for brand. And you can even look at end-of-life solutions. So let's say in the circular economy, 
with uh, apparel being the sixth largest uh, uh, and uh, the industry in the world and the third largest polluter, mm -hmm. circularity is becoming really important. What do you do with that garment at end of life? So if that garment is 100% wool, how does someone know? If you had an RFID reader in a waste management treat facility, mm -hmm. then you say we know the material of content that, and we know the waste stream that it goes into. So That's how can awesome. that be recycled? So we're seeing a lot of, of B2B uses for RFID, not direct to consumer so much because it's not on your phone. But from a B2B perspective, I see RFID ubiquity in the very near future because of all the other new use cases that it's empowering. And, uh, and it seems like a lot, I think you made a reference at the start of that uh, thread to supply chain. Is that where it really started? Do you, is, is that the it was all, RFID was really all about inventory accuracy and tracking and also being able to do quick counts in store or in a, in a container to be able to say, I don't have to open up that box to say that I have 16 pink pairs of underwear in size small in there. Yeah. It's transformational from the supply chain side, but but too expensive to have to be ubiquitous until it got to scale. You're starting to see it get to scale now, and the more use cases you apply to RFID, the more affordable it becomes because it's just doing more things. Yeah, yeah. You look at some of the the large players like uh, Inditex with Zara and all their other brands, and you look at. Uh, Decathlon, and I know that. I mean, it's no secret they're consuming uh, billion RFID tags uh, a year. And my sense is that a lot of that is about optimizing the supply chain, making the fast fashion faster, and uh, and making sure you got the right product in the right place. How much of that problem do you think is solved? I mean, are, are we are we uh, have we, I don't know, it's probably asking a lot of you to give a percentage, but to what degree has the industry optimized its supply chains as of today? It's a lot of the RFID um, demand is being driven by retailers right now. Um, so if a retailer demands that um, product is tagged in the apparel industry, then the brands have no choice. Again, there's the cost factor, and as that gets down from dimes to pennies, it's going to be a lot easier. But we're probably looking at 50 to 60 percent, maybe a little bit higher adoption rate for the industry. And that's why I think the increase in, in, in capabilities of RFID use case will mm -hmm. bring that much closer to that 90 or 100 percent. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It will just empower, and when you're when you're empowering end consumer experiences with RFID, then you're also doing things which have to do with again increasing transactions and basket size, and that becomes really compelling on the sales side, not just the supply side. Right. Yeah, if you can show lift, then you've got the kind of ROI that can drive further investment. But I realize those two examples uh, I gave, I was thinking of them as as clothing brands, but really they're retailers. Decathlon have their own stores, Zara have their own stores, so they're vertically integrated. So I'm just trying to think of, of, of a, uh, a fashion brand that is not vertically integrated, that's uh, broadly deployed RFID, and, and uh, are, are there any uh, that you can think of? 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In the apparel space, um, I again, I think it's really driven by the retailers and yeah. their supply chain demands. Yeah. So, uh, uh, look, a uh, uh, Macy's or a Kohl's might be a decent example yeah. where they'll say our supply chain demands this this clarity of vision yeah. to, for inventory control, yeah. things like inventory control, inventory control shrink. Yeah. So, so they will demand it, and then brands will brands do comply. Very interesting. So. Uh, okay, so we talked a bit about making the supply chain more optimized, and then you've touched on some things that could be part of the um, the retail experience, kind of magic mirrors and uh, that sort of thing. What do you um, what do you think is feasible beyond that in the ownership phase? And you've you've talked about recycling as well. Uh, I, I think you and I have have discussed wardrobing and, uh, and and that sort of thing what what's the what's the potential there what uh, is uh, just crazy and what what where do you think there's real value because there's been some experiments with bluetooth beacons in uh, like uh, the levi's jacket and uh, in uh, in um, in other things to kind of gamify the experience what's your sober view of where having uh, Bluetooth connectivity in a, in a piece of apparel from a consumer's perspective in the, because, uh, you know, they have a retail experience and then 95% of their engagement is hopefully when they're actually wearing it. Is, is there anything there that we could reasonably target? Absolutely. So I'm going to basically start to answer that question with an activation last year that I thought was really fascinating. And it was uh, it was an augmented reality uh, experience, and that was with Zara. So, for those people that are familiar with this activation, they had uh, they had storefront windows, and all that was in the storefront window was uh, empty mannequins and the Zara logo. And if you use your phone and it recognized the Zara logo as a marker, what would happen on your phone is that there would be a runway show. And you would be able to do two things. You would be able to view the um, the runway show in an empty store window and see the models. And then you could also start to work on uh, a, a buy now proposition to say, I like that look. So you can shop multiple looks. Instead of having a window be static with mannequins and clothes on it, it's active and engaging and it, it becomes shoppable. From the QR code discussion that we had, 
you can find, and again, this is a great example in, in Hong Kong, you can go to a bus shelter and hit, um, hit a QR code in a bus shelter and that bus shelter is shoppable. Ah. So all of a sudden what you're starting to see is this ability to have an experience with the brand that's not in a store. Mm-hmm. That experience with the brand can happen anywhere and can happen everywhere. So if you can imagine that you're using a Bluetooth device to have an experience with a brand, then why does it have to be in front of a, a screen? Mm-hmm. Why can't it be in your closet, mm-hmm. right? And and if you're if you're connecting with your with your apparel, if it's Bluetooth powered and your phone has is a Bluetooth reader, then you can start to have a branded experience with your clothes in your closet, and your closet becomes shoppable. There's an interactive conversation that says, "Hey, it's cold outside," or you know. Is it time to get new socks mm-hmm. or how can you cross sell against that? Because you can, you'll be able to flash your phone in your closet and everything will be instantly inventoried and then you can choose to have an experience. So what the, the epiphany really is the fact that everything is shoppable and whether you're going to use any of these technologies that are static right now, then that's really important. But I think Bluetooth is a big unlock. Yeah. So you'll be, because if everything is shoppable and everything is an experience, then you're getting back to exactly what the converse, how we started the conversation, which is consumers expect you to know them on a one-to-one basis and increasingly will expect you to make apparel for them on a one-to-one basis. That's years down the road. But how are you building that loyalty and that 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 drive to know me, I know you, I know you, I like you as a brand, but do you know me and do you like me? And 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 then we're able to have so much more selling opportunity, cross-selling opportunity, a relationship opportunity. It's all unlocked by technology. Yeah, and I can see this is good because you know, as someone that's basically in the technology business, uh, there's a clear upside for, for brands and retailers for, for doing this. Uh, you're extending the uh, shopping space into, into people's home. Um, what, uh, and I think, you know, if, if I'm into fashion, then the opportunity to get very personalized uh, recommendations for new things to buy, maybe based on how often I've worn this thing, because if there's Bluetooth in the item of apparel, then the phone knows how often you wear this thing and maybe even uh, what goes with something else. Do you think there are use cases that um, uh, are not about selling more to stuff? Is it realistic to expect our phone to have a role in suggesting what we wear? I, I have mixed feelings about how I just can't imagine myself looking at my phone and getting clothing advice, but that's probably because I don't think a lot about what I wear. And do you have evidence that people that do care about what they wear are willing to confer with a personal digital assistant or a phone on that? So here's, here's my question I'll ask back to you. Two years ago, did you know how to swipe left or swipe right? I didn't. And I would say that none of us do. Yeah, yeah. Ten years ago, you probably didn't have a smartphone. I certainly didn't either. So these learned behaviors happen much more swiftly than we think. Mm-hmm. What is it that uh, Bill Gates said that um, 
I'll, I'll, I'll mangle the quote. Um, it's, it's impossible. It's we overestimate what we think we can do in one to two years, but we dramatically underestimate what we can do in 10 years. Uh-huh. That's a great and question. so, so my answer to that is these are learned behaviors and we learn them much. We're, we're smart monkeys and we learn things very quickly. And so if these things are useful, we'll, we'll learn them fast. Yeah. yeah. The amount of, um, of connected devices in homes. I, I don't know the Alexa and Google assistant numbers, but they're not, not small. We've adopted these, these robots and these listening and speaking devices into our homes at an alarming rate. And there's an economy of scale that says that, you know, Amazon and Google want to get them out at, at, at affordable costs. And we have yet to know what they'll do. There are novelties right now, but they will become indispensable. I don't want to sound totally black mirror, but you know, if you watch Black Mirror, yeah. you know it's it's not those those that's not too far in the in the in the uh, event horizon future for us is those kinds of experiences. Yeah, I think you're right. There, yeah, that, that's uh, that's uh, I think that should be required viewing for uh, all technologists, both the scary side and the amazing uh, things that can be done. It's a great yeah. show. So, well, that, that's wonderful. I I really appreciate the chance to talk about. Uh, uh, this with you, Barry. I, I d- did want to just kind of have one foray down memory lane, and uh, I, I was kind of interested in your perspective on this intersection between the, the, the specifically the Dr. Martin boot that you referenced, okay. and uh, and pop culture and uh, and so forth. And I'm sort of interested in what it was like being closer to that because I was on the receiving end of that, and not that people were kicking me, although actually they did when I was a school kid with the Dr. Martin boots. But uh, um, it was just incredible how that piece of clothing was affiliated with some amazing groups like Madness uh, back in the the UK and that sort of thing. So I'm just sort of interested if in your career, whether that's impacted you directly, uh, uh, like uh, um, this intersection between music and... uh, and, 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 and apparel. Are there any particular kind of incidents that come to mind when you think about that? That is such an interesting question. So um, that was a, you know, that was a definitely powerful moment in time because it was a cultural intersection, as you say, of art and music and fashion. And it did make me realize that they're, they're inexorably connected. These things that we work on have to have to touch you, and and we're all mixed. If we think that, well, I'll go I'll go to a, to an, uh, another analogy that's that's similar. If by twenty twenty five there's going to be um, fifty billion connected devices and eight billion people, then everything's going to be connected to the Internet of Things, right? And no one ever said everything's going to be connected to the Internet of Things, but clothing. So in an artful way, we have to figure out how that happens, not in a clunky way. And so we have to be mindful of the creative side because it's the creative side that's going to drive the ubiquity of that thing that we do. And the Dr. Martin's time was a time of a, of a real synergy between art, music and culture. And it all and fashion, what we wear, what we said, what we did, what we listened to, what our politics were. They weren't they weren't disconnected. 
it's kind of similar to why I really like South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the most important shows that an apparel company can go to. It has almost nothing to do with apparel, but it does have everything to do with how citizens are, are going to react with technology and politics and health and science because citizens are consumers. When you understand citizen behavior, you understand consumer behavior. It's all mixed. So we can't take out that artful part of it. One of the things I always am amazed by is texting. Do you know what the number one thing that drove the ubiquity of texting into our human behavior was? I don't. Emojis. It was emojis. People were pretty nonplussed about texting because they couldn't see the difference between an email and a text. But emojis made it fun. And so our job is to not forget that we're just doing a, a, a bland technical thing. We have to look at use case all the time. And what's going to make connected apparel ubiquitous is when we make it not only easy and seamless, but we make it useful or fun in some way. And I continue to predict that apparel connected to the IoT will have a lot less to do with health. You're not really going to be so focused on whether my t-shirt can tell me whether I'm going to have my next heart attack, Mm -hmm. but you might be super interested if it helps you with social interaction Mm -hmm. in some way. If it eases your day or is a little bit fun or is a little bit cool. If your shirt can connect you to Tinder or Grindr, isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be – there are going to be ways that, are, that we have, we're just building out now that will bring that ubiquity. And that's kind of what I learned from that time. I'll take it back to your Dr. Martin question. Everything is mixed. They're not separate silos. Because we're people and we're citizens in society and everything touches everything. Art, music, fashion, culture, what we wear, politics and who we are. Yeah, I think that's a really profound observation. I, uh, you look at Apple as uh, one of the most successful technology brands ever. And part of their hallmark, the thing that distinguishes them by a mile from any other laptop, PC, phone vendor is they've done the best job of melding art and culture and creativity, music, film, it's all infused in their product. And I just want their product more as a result of it. That was the Steve Jobs ethos. Yes, absolutely. Very good. Well, well, Barry, thanks so much for spending some time with us. You've you've, you've got some amazing uh, insights into this fascinating world of technology uh, and fashion. Thank you for sharing them with us. Thank you, Steve. It's been a pleasure. It's been really nice to talk to you today. So as you know, uh, we ask our guests for for three songs. Uh, A few minutes ago, we got into a bit of a negotiation, which actually isn't the first time we've negotiated on things. But uh, uh, you were negotiating up from a song to some albums. So what, what are the three musical things that you would take on this long trip that we're sending you on? So on the trip to Mars, certainly three three songs would probably be driving me crazy. Yeah. Um, so I was that I was definitely negotiating on the album size. Um, so I'm going to take a couple of things. I've taken a couple of moments to think about it. Yeah. One is one of the very first pieces of classical music that I was introduced to, and that's Benjamin Britten's Serenade for Tenor, Horn, and Strings. Uh-huh. 
It's not a song, it's not an album either. It's a piece, it's in three acts. And there's this soaring, uh, amazing aria around uh, a singer who's sort of pouring his heart out. And they, the French horn that they use is an open French horn. It has no vowels. And so he only gets these sort of arcing noises of, of almost space and time through the embouchure of his lips. It's, it's, it's really inspiring and really quite intense. So I'd probably pick the, the serenade for tenor horn and strings. Okay, so you, you won one song, uh, but a very long one. So that's uh, very yeah, sneaky. Okay, uh, okay what's, what's, what's number two? <laughs> so if it was an album, I have to say, you know, because I like these ideas that start at the beginning and end at the end. And one of the most amazing albums that came out during the punk rock times was the the Clash of Sandinista. And that's a three album epic of and but it has its it's almost like it has arias in and of itself. And you kind of have to listen to it from beginning to end. You can't pull out a piece. Okay. Um, but if it was a song, I would probably pick um, The Clash's Train in Vain, because that, uh, that song brings me to a very happy place. Okay. Well, sh should I ask why, or is that best uh, left uh, off camera? Uh, so, okay, so it probably reminds me of... Uh, I love The Clash, and, and it was, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very happy, bouncy song yeah. that reminds you of a really good time, and reminds me of a really good time in my life. But the song has to do with a, with a, a, a very horrible breakup, so it's kind of funny. It's it's huh? uh, I don't know how they got such a happy song out of it. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of one of those songs that gives you hope in the face of, of darkness. Let's say. Yeah, I, I I'm I have to say I never really got into the Clash in a big way. Uh, I'm in that oh, superficial okay. group of Rock the Casbah. I love Rock the Casbah. It's amazing and great party <laughs> song. But anyway. So uh, that's cool. And so, is there a third one you've got? There is a third song, right. and this one I'm pulling out of the um, out of the the virtual space. And so, I don't know if you've seen the Fred Armisen and Bill Hader uh, mockumentary called uh, Documentary Now. Uh, actually, I haven't. No, I, I love their work, but I haven't seen it. No. They're amazing. And so, they one of them was a two part mockumentary on a '70s band called Blue Jean Committee. And they were a bunch of guys from Chicago who were in the sausage making industry who took off on the tangent of making surf duet music, but like Doobie Brothers, Steely Dan kind of thing. And they do a song, Steve, and it's called Catalina Breeze. And you should look it up. I will. It is, if it was the 70s, and if it was a song that came out, it would have been your favorite song. Uh -huh. You would have worn a whole groove <laughs> in the grooves of that record because it's so catchy. Yeah. And the minute I hear that, it gets stuck in my head forever, and I can't let it go. Yeah, and it could be one of the best pop songs ever made by a non-band. And and it's not really a pop song. It is a song, but it was it was conjured up after the fact. Uh, yeah. he's, Fred Armiston's so talented, and I kind of don't like watching him because it just makes me feel like underachieving but uh, one of his amazing <laughs> yeah, things he did was because he's a drummer right and he did this whole uh, um, set uh, for just for drummers he had to be a drummer to get in and he was playing all these drums and different he had like 
five different drum sets, drum sets through the ages he would play. That's an, that's an amazing thing. And of course, Portlandia, which uh, oh. having, I lived in Portland for 10 years and I just can't get enough of that show. So. Yeah. Anyway, oh, thanks for that. That's very good. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 